0: Happy Feast again to all of you, brethren. Howdy. Welcome to day four of the Feast of Tabernacles. Day four of seven. We're right in the middle. Hopefully the first half of your feast has gone very well. I hope you're excited by what you've experienced so far. Last night was really an enjoyable evening with the family dance, watching people dance and watching people talk and watching people have their pictures drawn. We really should have a table at the back of the room so we could look at everyone's caricatures. That would be a lot of fun. <clears throat> but it's good to be back with you today and really need to be here again together, fellowshipping, learning more about God's way of life. <clears throat> like to thank Mrs. Lyons for that special music. It's, that's a neat piece to think about it. God chose the little one, didn't he? And it's, God. it's interesting the way God orchestrates things because we're going to talk about children today. And so the song was very fitting as an introduction for the sermon. As we begin the sermon today, though, I'm going to stop talking momentarily and I'm going to give you an assignment to do in your seats, and I'm going to actually ask you to talk. Those of you who are joining us on the telephone, uh, if you're joining us online, I'd like you to participate in this too. If you're by yourself, think out loud or write something down on paper. If you're together online or on the phone, talk to each other. You're not off the hook just because you're not in the room. So what I'd like you to do In just a moment, is turn to the person next to you. Could be a family member, could be a friend, could be a child, could be a parent, could be whatever. And I'd like you to take two minutes. And I'd like you to do the following: come up with five positive qualities of children, five positive qualities, characteristics, character traits that children, small children, have. If you get done with those five characteristics quickly, I'd like you to go on and discuss why each of these are important characteristics. But I'd like you to come up with five positive characteristics of young children. And if you have time, talk about why these are important. If, you're, if you've are you got a space next to you and you're by yourself, scoot over to the next seat. Everybody needs to be playing along with this Activity. Go ahead, you've got two minutes. You've got one more minute. Thirty seconds. <clears throat> okay, brethren. I'm going to cut you off. Thank you for participating. You can continue those discussions after services. I hope you were able to come up with at least five positive characteristics of little children. That activity was designed to get you thinking about the topic we're going to discuss today. Next question I have is actually for young people in the audience, for children And for young people, you can lump yourself in there anywhere. Basically, age, let's say 20 and under. Um, For most of you, that's young. How many of you young people are, how many of you love coming to the Feast of Tabernacles? How many young people love coming to the Feast of Tabernacles? Okay. I think that's pretty much everybody. Thank you. Brethren, what can we learn from that? What can we learn from the activity we just did? What can we learn from young people who are excited about coming to the feast? Why does God want young people at the Feast of Tabernacles? Besides the fact that he doesn't want to break families up at this time of year. You know, it's interesting. The Passover is a holy time, a holy convocation in which... Young people, children are not invited, are they? You have to be a baptized member to attend the Passover. Feast of Tabernacles is very different from that. God wants families at the Feast of Tabernacles. Brethren, what do children have to do with the Feast of Tabernacles? And ultimately, what do children have to do with the Kingdom of God? My purpose today is to highlight the powerful childlike attitude that God requires all of us to have in order to enter the kingdom of God. First, what I'd like to do this afternoon is to discuss some childlike attitudes God wants young children to maintain and all of us as older children of God to redevelop, That's the first thing. And then I want to examine God's powerful love for children as an illustration of why He wants children in His kingdom. So let's start out here this afternoon and talk about some attitudes that God wants us, requires us to have in order to enter His kingdom. Turn with me, if you would, please, to Luke chapter 18. I'm going to spend a little bit of time in the Gospels this afternoon. In fact, tomorrow we have the blessing of little children. And we'll hear more about some of these accounts tomorrow. I'm actually going to grab some of the scriptures Mr. Moloff is going to use tomorrow. And I just encourage him to give the sermonette tomorrow that he plans to give. Even though I'm going to take some of his scriptures today. We have to work with God's inspiration. i found personally that it's better not to change the message, but go with what God inspired, because He inspired it for reasons. Luke chapter 18. Let's start reading in verse 15, brethren. Luke chapter 18. And you know this passage of Scripture, verse 15. They also brought infants to Him that He might touch them. The word infants here in the Greek means Infants. It can actually also mean actually children in the womb. Obviously, that doesn't apply here. But it means very small little ones. He brought in, they brought infants to him that he might touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. Verse 16, But Jesus called them to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean to you, brethren? To receive the kingdom like a little child. What does it mean to receive the kingdom like a little child? We're going to talk about that. We're going to meditate on that a little bit today. To really understand that, you have to study little children. The Feast of Tabernacles is a type of kingdom of God, is it not? Mr. Greer actually made the comment the other day in his sermon that being at the feast is like being in the kingdom. A seven-day foretaste. You know, we are commanded to be here. Leviticus 23 talks about the feast being a commanded assembly. That term commanded assembly, convocation, actually can be translated rehearsal as well, which is exciting because we are here rehearsing the kingdom, in a sense. You watch children at the feast watch children at the feast and you get an idea of how we are to receive the kingdom some of you have your children here some of you have your grandchildren here watching them is an amazing thing to see how they rejoice how do we rejoice we heard a sermon at the beginning of the feast about that watch little children rejoice they know how to do it as we get older sometimes we forget that's why Christ says do it like little children let me ask you another question related to what we just read why would the disciples have rebuked or scolded parents for bringing their children to Christ to be blessed why would the disciples have done that maybe it's helpful to put ourselves in the role of a disciple for a minute put yourself in that role Here's the teacher. Here's the rabbi come from God. They knew he was the son of God. Maybe some of them had on their security badge. I'm not putting down any of our security personnel here. But maybe they felt like, I've got to protect him. I've got to watch out for him. What else might they have been thinking? This is an adult message, right? John's gospel. His baptism was a baptism of repentance from dead works. Children can't repent. Little children can't. They can on some level, but not to the level of baptism. Christ was talking about big adult concepts, wasn't he? Changing the world, applying the law of God across the land. These are adult concepts. You begin to think a little bit about why the disciples tried to prevent parents from bringing little children. Why waste the Master's time with kids? This is about saving adults, isn't it? It's interesting to meditate on some of these things. Yet what was Christ's response? He didn't just gently correct the disciples. He rebuked them no, you don't tell them that. Stop. And he didn't know, He didn't stop there, did he? He said, bring them to me. Christ made a profound statement, both out of his mouth and out of his actions, about little children here, didn't he? A number of years ago, in one of the congregations we attended, we had some brethren bring in some uh, literature from another church group. And brethren, those of you who read literature from other church groups, I would caution you. It's not a wise thing to do. We are not all the same. There are over 500 groups that have come out of the Worldwide Church of God. 500! Why are there 500? over 500 groups? Because there's 500 different perspectives. Now, we're very similar on the big issues. yes. But we differ on some major little issues and pieces of big issues. Be very careful, I caution you. I was listening to a sermonette by a leader of another group a number of years ago because of some of the information that was brought in. I wanted to check this group out. And the leader, he gave sermons normally, but he gave a sermonette um, in which... He was talking about children. This group, by the way, preaches that the gospel, they they clearly preach the gospel of the kingdom of God as a witness has been done away with. It's done. Herbert W. Armstrong finished it. And now our only responsibility is to prepare the bride of Christ, which is not biblical. We can counter that time and time again going down through the scriptures. But in the sermon that I listened to, the minister was talking, and he was talking about how the responsibility of the church is not to young people and to children. It's to adults. In fact, and he used the example, look back to the Worldwide Church of God and the camps that we had. They were not successful. Most of those kids ended up leaving the church. Is he right? Yes. Most of my friends are gone. They're not in any fellowship from growing up. However, were we successful in keeping brethren in the church? My notes from 1991, after the Feast of Tabernacles, my sermon notes, record 165,000 people at the feast in 1991 in the Worldwide Church of God. Where are they? We can add up all of the groups that we know of, and we can't even barely come to 50,000 people. But his comment was the responsibility of the church is not to the young people at all. That's the parents' responsibility. Sounds like a Pharisee to me. Does it to you? Christ said, Suffer the little children to come unto me. This is the Lord. This is the Master. This is the priest after the priesthood of Melchizedek, the one who founded the church the rock of the Old Testament church and the rock of the New Testament church. Why would God, brethren, have inspired this incident in Luke? Why would He have inspired it? As was mentioned in the sermonette, uh, appreciate the sermonette very much, when you hear things over and over, we need to take note. You know, when God gives us information in the Scripture, and he repeats himself in the Scripture. This book, it, it seems like a big book, doesn't it? It's probably thicker than most of the books we own. But when you think about it, there's about 6,000 years of history here in a very small book. When God says something, he means it. That's why we're told that all of this is inspired by God and profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly good work. That's 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. But everything he puts in here is important. This passage of Scripture we just read in Luke is repeated two more times, once in Matthew and once in Mark. In fact, let's go to Mark, chapter 10. We're going to look at all three of these accounts because they're all just a little bit different. In Luke, we read about suffer the little children to come unto me. These were infants that were brought to him. In Mark, Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Mark 10, 13. They brought to him little children. This is actually a different Greek word than the infant's word. This one means <laughs> small children. <clears throat> um, but they brought to him these little children that he might touch them. These parents understood the power of Christ's hands and his touch. They saw him involved in healing people. And they wanted their children to be blessed by him. Just as we're going to do tomorrow with our little ones. But "But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Verse 14 But when Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased. And he said to them, He wasn't just a little bit bothered. God uses emphasis in the words here. He wasn't just displeased. He was greatly displeased. He was not happy at all with what they did. And He said, Let the little children come to Me and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 15, Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means... Enter it. Again, I ask you, how do little children, how would a little child receive the kingdom? How would a little child, how does a little child receive the Feast of Tabernacles? Verse 16, he took them up in his arms so he was able to hold them. He laid hands on them and he blessed them. Brethren, how and in what attitude do young children receive information? Think about a three-year-old, four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old. How do they receive information that is presented to them? How do they receive knowledge from their parents, from their grandparents, from their teachers? They're usually pretty open to it, aren't they? In fact... If you tell them something, they believe you. They don't question, do they? If mom tells me something, dad tells me something, if grandma or grandpa tells me something, it is right. Isn't that the way little children think? They get to a point where that doesn't hold anymore. But little children believe. They trust. They're incredibly receptive they're incredibly accepting they also freely display joy and thanksgiving don't they what happens when you give a gift to a little one three year old four year old five year old you can't hold them to the ground think about it what do they do they start jumping up and down you can give a give a doll a brand new doll it can be ugly doll (laughs) give it to a three or four year old little girl and you would think that you just gave her a living breathing human being you know what I'm talking about the joy the authentic love it just comes oozing out of them it is unbridled think about it Matthew 19 let's go back there Read another example. Matthew 19, verse 13. Here's Matthew's account of the same situation. <clears throat> Matthew 19:13. Then little children were brought to him also. Again, this is little children in this partic- particular instance. And he put his hands on them to pray. But the disciples rebuked them. Again, the disciples didn't like what was going on. The the Greek word here for rebuke means to censure or to charge or to rebuke. It's it's correcting. You're not right. Do not do this. This is not appropriate. It's that kind of an attitude. Verse 14, Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Christ gave some powerful examples. Let's go back to Matthew 18 as well. As we think about little children and God's perspective on children and frankly, God's perspective on who children are. This is interesting. As we go back to Matthew 18, let's look at verse uh, 10. Matthew 18:10 It says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. This is actually not children. Verse 6 <laughs> says, you can keep your finger on verse 10. Verse 6 says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. This is not talking about little children. This is talking about new converts, potential converts. God sees them as little ones. You read the writings of Paul. Paul and John, the apostle. They talk about God's people as their children. Paul referred to himself as a father figure. So we begin to see some of God's perspective here. But verse 10, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. God has angels to protect individuals. Little ones in the truth... And certainly little ones in the flesh as well. When we lay hands on the little ones tomorrow, one of the things we'll ask is for God's angelic protection over these little ones. That God will keep them safe and put that protection on them. What do you think Christ blessed them with and asked for? Very interesting to think about. Let's go to Psalm 91. As we think about God wanting to protect his little ones, children, and children in the faith. Psalm 91. This is, many of you know, David's Psalm of Protection. He's talking about God's protection in this entire psalm. Psalm 91. Let's start out by reading verse 11. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Now, this is a messianic prophecy. We go down and we realize this is a prophecy referring to Jesus Christ. But it's referring to people, too, in general. That God wants to give protection. He gives his angels charge, protection over us, as we just read about in the book of Matthew. Let's go back up to verse 1. We see God's perspective on us, on those who He's calling. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place of the Most High. We abide under His shadow. Where do you have to be to abide under somebody's shadow? Pretty close by, don't you? You can't be too far away. You've got to be under their wings, don't you? Ooh, that reminds me of another, another scripture. Remember Christ's comment? Weeping over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish that I could hold you under my wings as a mother hen does her chicks. We see the parental view that God has for all of us. And in that case, Jerusalem, a bunch of unconverted people who killed the prophets. Yet He wished He could... Coddle them. Hold them close. <clears throat> Let's go to 1 Corinthians 7. Again, thinking about children. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The Apostle Paul deals with the issue of family. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he deals with marriage. He deals with divorce. He deals with remarriage after divorce in this chapter. But he also deals with the calling of unconverted mates, and the special role that children of converted parents play. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 7, and verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified or set apart by the wife, the believing wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, the believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but... Now they are holy. Children of converted parents are holy before God. They're special in God's sight. I think most of you, especially if you've been around for a while, know that concept. But in the context of today's message, really think about that. Children, God says, are holy. We could do a study on holy. If you haven't in a while, you might should. Go back. Review what things God says are holy. Start in the Old Testament. Work your way forward. God lumps children into that category. Children of converted church members are holy before him. That's a pretty powerful observation that God gives us, something to really think about. Children and the attitudes that little children have are critical elements, brethren. I think you're beginning to see and be reminded of the critical elements of the kingdom of God, the time that is pictured by this Feast of Tabernacles. You saw hands go up earlier about young people and children who are excited to be here. There aren't a lot. At this particular feast site, we've got about 20, 25 of them here. They're excited to be here. They're excited to be here at the feast. I've got a question, another question for children and young people. Children and young people, listen up. And I want you to raise your hand if you'd like to do this. How many of you would like it if the Feast of Tabernacles lasted for another week? Yes, very interesting. Okay, thank you. Very good. How many parents and older brethren are happy to be here at the feast but will be ready to return home after the last great day? Yes, you see where I'm going with this. Throw the money aside, the money issues aside. yes, we're going to run out of money. Why the difference? Why the difference? Why are the kids ready to keep going? Why are I, I should have raised my hand on some level, I'll be ready after the last great day. I'll be tired. <laughs> Why the difference? Why are the kids ready to charge on for another 7 days? Interesting to think about. Turn with me to 2nd Chronicles chapter 30, please. 2nd Chronicles. Chapter 30. You recall that most of the kings of Israel and Judah were wicked. They did despicable things before God the southern kingdom of judah really was the only kingdom that had righteous kings and there were only a handful of them literally we talked about josiah the other day hezekiah is another one of those what's interesting in that history of the kings of judah there were usually three four five six seven evil wicked kings and then there was a good king and then the next king was evil and wicked, and it continued. And these evil and wicked kings threw out the priesthood of God. They let the temple fall into disrepair. They got rid of all the implements of godly worship. They hid copies of the Bible, or the, the, the law of God. And it was lost as Israel, the Israelite nations, Judah, descended again into paganism. And so you find these righteous kings come about every three, four, five generations. And they had to reestablish right. They had to get rid of the paganism, as we talked about with Josiah the other day. They had to tear down the altars. And they had to go rediscover how to worship God because it had ceased. Let's look at this. Second Chronicles chapter 30. And we'll start reading in verse 10. Second Chronicles 30, verse 10. Here's um, King Hezekiah is, has come to office here. And in verse 10, we read, So the runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh. As far as Zebulun, let me give you a little bit of background here. They had rediscovered the law of God. And they began reading the law of God. And they realized they needed to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread which is to be kept in the first month of the year. It's already the second month of the year. They're realizing they're late. But apparently they realized and discovered a passage that talks about keeping a second Passover on the 14th day of the second month. So they literally sent runners from city to city throughout the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. But these people laughed at them and they mocked them these are pagan people for generations they've fallen back into paganism totally forgotten God's ways nevertheless verse 11 some from Asher and Manasseh and Zebulun humbled themselves and they came to Jerusalem verse 12 also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command of the king and the leaders at the word of the Lord do you experience are you experiencing singleness of heart here boy we sure are talking with you, sitting with you, learning from you, we are on the same page, brethren. God gives us that singleness of heart. Let's continue. Verse 13, Now many people, a very great assembly gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month. So this is not tabernacles, it's unleavened bread. They gathered a month late. The Bible does not say keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread a second month. Apparently they made the assumption if you can keep Passover a second in the second month, you can do unleavened bread too. Hezekiah did make a couple of mistakes. Out of his zeal, let's keep reading. Verse 14, they arose, they took away the altars that were in Jerusalem, and they took away all the incense altars, and they cast them into the brook of Kidron. And then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th. So they began keeping God's laws again. Verse 21. Let's skip down, brethren, to verse 21. So the children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. We're keeping the Feast of Tabernacles, and I think most of us here have great gladness. At least it comes across when you talk to me. And I appreciate it because it gets me more excited as well. Let's continue. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day singing to the Lord accompanied by loud instruments and we do that day by day at the feast don't we we sing to the Lord verse 22 and Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Lord and they ate throughout the feast seven days so they did feast on food they had offerings of peace making confession to the Lord God of their fathers Verse 23. This is the point I really want to get to. Then the whole assembly agreed, all of them agreed, to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it for another seven days with gladness. They all agreed. What would happen if Mr. Stein got up here on the last great day and said, you know, we've been talking. How many of you would like to keep the Feast of Tabernacles for another Seven days. And it wouldn't be, the money side would be covered. Yeah, I see adult hands going up now. <laughs> Brethren, when you look back, these individuals were called the children of Israel for reasons. Yes, they were Israel, Jacob's children. But they also had a childlike attitude, didn't they? They reached the end of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and they said, let's do it again. This was good. This was wonderful. This was joyful. What type of childlike outlook would have been necessary for that to happen? What child type of childlike outlook would it take for us to want to keep the feast of tabernacles again? 7 more days. I think many of us as adults would raise our hands, but a chunk of us wouldn't for various reasons. But all the kids in the room would. Something to be learned from that. There's something to be learned. Psalm 69. Psalm 69. David again writing here. And we see David's attitude. Yes, David was a model in many ways of what to do and what not to do. But David was a man after God's own heart. He was a man after God's own heart in the way he repented. And when David repented, he repented with his heart and his being. David lived his life, though, Zealously, didn't he? How did David react when the ark was finally being brought back to Jerusalem, the city? He couldn't contain himself. He reacted like a five year old would. I don't mean that as a demeaning comment to David. He jumped up and down with joy, he danced. And he embarrassed his adult wife, didn't he? What are you doing that for? You're the king of Israel. You shouldn't act like that. You're acting like a child. A man after God's own heart. God never condemned David for that, did he? David's wife had to pay a penalty for that. We see later on. Psalm 69. And let's read verse nine. Psalm sixty nine nine Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach me you've reproached you have fallen on me. But he talks about zeal for God's house. Eating him up. David never got to build God's house. But he got to get everything in place, didn't he? Who else had zeal for God's house? In fact, we see a quote from here in the New Testament. As Jesus Christ turned over the tables in God's house. Brethren, what kind of zeal do we have for God's way? For God's kingdom that we're all called to be part of? Do we have zeal like children for this coming time? If so, why? Brethren, why do you have that zeal? Nail it down. Figure it out so you can maintain it. If you do not, brethren, why is the zeal missing? If you do not, why is the zeal missing? Why are you not zealous for God's kingdom? Why does it not eat you up? Because that's what God wants us to have zeal for his kingdom that drives us forward hope we're told by paul our hope we read it earlier in the in the feast should be as an anchor to our soul something that holds us fast when the winds of doctrine blow something that holds us fast when satan tries to tug at us and pull us away from the truth that zeal has to drive us forward and make us want to be there Only those who truly want to be in the kingdom will be there, brethren. Revelation chapter 3. I'm going to read another familiar passage. Revelation 3. This is a warning to the church at Laodicea, which we know represents not only an era at the end of the age, a lukewarm, lethargic era, But it also represents an attitude in the church of God that will be prevalent at the end of the age. Something we all have to fight against. In fact, God gives us an admonition here. Revelation chapter 3. Let's start reading in verse 18. Revelation 3, 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, the purest stuff, not the contaminated kind. Gold refined in the fire that you may be rich And buy white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Verse 19, God says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, do what? Be zealous and repent. What does it mean to repent? How do you define repentance? To turn around and go in the opposite direction. How do we do that? We show zeal. What is he talking to these Laodiceans about? Lethargy, spiritual lethargy. That lukewarm attitude, that laissez faire, doesn't really matter approach that is all over the face of the earth right now. Just relax, take it easy, don't worry. Take one day at a time. The lack of zeal. God says, repent and have zeal. What's going to happen to these Laodiceans? The individuals that have an attitude like they have. What does it show us will happen to these individuals? This is God's church, brethren. To the church, the called out ones, the ecclesia at Laodicea. What's going to happen to them? They're going to go through the tribulation. They will not be in the place of safety, the place of protection, because they're lukewarm. They're not zealous. Children are zealous. Children are excited. They're easily excitable. They're full of joy. Yes, they need to learn how to temper some of those emotions. But they're pure emotions. They're unadulterated. They're unfiltered. And the good ones are very, very good. God wants us to have that. He wants us to rekindle that, brethren, because whether you admit it or not, you were once a child and you were like that, weren't you? We all were. What happened? when we grew up. What happened? We grew up in Satan's world, didn't we? With the God of this world who has worked for our lifetime to filter out of us those wonderful characteristics of little children. Brethren, I'll ask you, how excited are you about God's coming kingdom and being there in the thick of it? How excited are you to give His kingdom to the world? To show them the right way to live? To talk to them about what repentance truly means? And to help take from them the burden of guilt that for many racked their minds and their hearts for a lifetime? How badly do you want to help free this world that's been held captive so long are we excited enough about it and is it real enough to us that we'd be willing to sell all and give up all our earthly possessions in order to inherit it could we do that would we do that would we do it begrudgingly or would we do it at the drop of a hat Are we ready to go now and make it happen? Give up this physical life right now so we can be in the kingdom and change a world that is hurting people and give them the glory that is to come. Brethren, watching children as they are exuberant and zealous, not apathetic and jaded, we can learn a tremendous amount. Turn with me to Isaiah 11. Isaiah 11 Children do you know where we're going? This is one of their favorite songs, brethren. Where we have a song about this time. Isaiah chapter 11. We've got to go to this scripture during the feast. The sin not to. First Scott 1 2 <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 11. Let's start reading in verse 6. A vision of the kingdom of God. And I want to hopefully help make this just a little bit more real. The wolf shall also dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Tame animals. Species of animals interacting with each other that would not work today. Yeah, you you see a YouTube video once in a while of a freak situation. But normally, what would happen here? Somebody's lunch. You know what? The, The lamb and a wolf? The instinct in the wolf is dinner. You know, lamb chops. And if you're out west, you get a little bit of sage to put in with that. It's growing on the prairie. And you've got a nice seasoned meal. I joke, but you know, it's true, isn't it? Something happens here. And and what what, what does God include? What's part of the picture here? It's not just the animals. Who's gonna lead them? Not the kings and the priests. not the spiritual paragons a little child will lead them verse 7 the cow and the bear shall graze together i can't even imagine that i mean i could sort of picture it in my mind's eye but it's a cartoon it's not real it is real but it doesn't seem real a child and a bear or excuse me a cow and a bear grazing together we were in yellowstone one year at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. and We drove up to Yellowstone. We had prayed to see certain animals and we saw a grizzly bear who'd taken down an elk. The grizzly bear had eaten its full. You're talking about a bear that weighs 1,200 pounds. This is a massive animal taking down an elk that weighs about the same. The grizzly bear ate its full and was tired. So he laid down on top of the elk. And was taking a nap as the coyotes circled. But that's what grizzly bears do. They see, hmm, steak. I'm going to have dinner. And you know, you ever go to Jackson Hole, there's lots of game in the restaurants up there. Elk and buffalo and whatever else. Bears don't do this. Grizzly bears definitely don't do this. But they will in the kingdom. A cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. Imagine a a baby grizzly bear and a calf frolicking together. Wrestling. Because both of those babies have that nature in them. Let's continue. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play at the cobra's hole. We have several nursing children here today or moms who have nursing children, how many of you would put down your little one or dads on a cobra's den? What would you do if you recognized your child, your nursing child, was right near a cobra's den? And the wean child, that wean child, that little toddler, shall put his hand on the viper's den. Hey, mommy, Rattlesnake! And mommy and daddy don't go running. They shall not hurt, verse 9, nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What's the knowledge of the Lord? We've read it in both the books of Micah and Isaiah. The law shall go forth from Jerusalem. This is incredible, brethren. And who do we see involved in the process? Nursing children? Toddlers? Young children leading big, scary animals? This is an incredible vision as we think about it. We used to live in Wyoming, and every, sadly, every summer, in Wyoming or Colorado, you'd read about little children disappearing. Families go out for a hike. They look back and their little ones gone. Search parties go out. several days later, a week later, they find nothing, only to realize it was probably a mountain lion that took these little ones. The child didn't even make a sound, nothing left of them. Brethren, the time in the kingdom is a different time. A time for families. We see little children being part and parcel central to the kingdom of God. But brethren, tame animals are the tip of the iceberg in terms of the greatness of the everlasting peace of the kingdom, the tranquility, the lack of Satan's influence on the world, and the reality of God's Holy Spirit permeating the entire earth, the lack of Satan's spirit permeating the earth. This is what we begin to see. It's interesting. Children have an unbridled zeal for life. Even aspects of the kingdom that all of us should have and would have had years ago an interest in and an unbridled zeal for, children have now. It's an unbridled zeal that we need to come back to us. We need to rekindle. Examine your own zeal, brethren. Try to watch and learn from the children at the feast this year because God expects us to be like them in our zeal, in our trust, and in our teachability. A little bit of homework for you. More homework. I'm going to go home from this feast and say, man, I'm glad to not have any homework anymore. Actually, homework that Mr. Greer gave the deacons and the elders and families the other day during his talk to us. Older brethren, here's your homework. And you classify yourself in there. If you're older than children, you're older brethren. Get to know some of the youth here at the feast. Make it a point to meet them, to talk to them, to get to know them. And a number of you have done this. Keep, Keep up the good work. But get to know some of the young people. Young people children make time to get to know the older brethren too. take time when they come to talk to you search them out if you're really shy get another young person to go with you and go talk to them learn from them but older brethren take the opportunity to learn from the little ones from the young ones to learn from their perspectives to think about it from god's perspective Okay, we've talked about some characteristics of little children that God needs us to have, wants us to have, we must have in order to enter the kingdom of God. The remainder of the sermon, what I'd like to do is zero in on how God loves children in order to develop a clearer picture of what the kingdom of God is going to be like. Because children, brethren, again, are part and parcel to the kingdom. They are a central idea of, They're central to the concept of the kingdom of God. God very clearly shows us that there will not be a kingdom without children. They will be there. They will be vibrant parts of His kingdom as they should be in the church of God, the kingdom of God in embryo right now. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49. Brethren, (laughs) these scriptures should move us as we think about them. This is a millennial scripture. This is a scripture that takes us to the beginning of the millennium, the end of the Great Tribulation, a time when the world has been held captive. Many peoples have been taken captive all around the world and they're being released. Many people have lost their lives. Several of the minor prophets talk about how 90% 90% 90% of those in the Israelite nations will lose their life during the tribulation. That's profound. What does that mean? Part of what that means is we're going to have a lot of orphans come through the tribulation. We saw IMAX presentation yesterday on the Alamo. Very powerful IMAX that some of you have seen as well. Very moving. Uh, Very graphic. Gory. One of the things they did depict, though, apparently correctly from history, is there were a couple of women and a handful of children that were in the Alamo during the fight, and Santa Ana let them live. They let the women and children live. 192 men lost their lives in the Alamo. None of them lived, but a couple of women and a handful of children lived. There's going to be a bunch of children come through the tribulation. And we see that picture here in Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah 49, let's start reading in verse catch up with you, 22. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard or my banner for the peoples. (laughs) Show them something to lead Them, Something to follow. They shall bring your sons in their arms. Means on their bosom. That's not just holding them out like this. How do we carry a child? Not like this. Unless you're going through a security checkpoint in an airport. I'll tell you a story about that some other time. It was going to the feast after 9-11. And my son was in diapers. And I'll continue that later. You hold little children close, don't you? You don't want to drop them. You also want to show them you love them and they need to know that they are loved. So he says, they shall bring your sons in their arms. Look at the, look at the picture, brethren, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. How many of us have done that with our little ones? Carried them on our shoulders. It's a wonderful vision. Verse 23. Notice this. Notice this. Kings shall be your foster fathers. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. Why? Because the real moms and dads are no more for these little ones. These kings and these queens who before the tribulation were rebellious, they didn't want to hear What God had to say. They wanted their own way. They were rich and increased with goods and had need of nothing. Are humbled through this tribulation. And their humanity is brought back out of them in part by these little ones. Because the human heart that God has created can't let a little one stay by themselves. We've got to pick them up. We've got to comfort them when they cry. And God is going to use little ones to crack the shells of hard-hearted people. Kings shall be your foster fathers, queens your nursing mothers. They shall bow down with, down to you with their faces to the earth. Lick up the dust of your feet. These are humbled people. And then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me powerful vision here verse 25 verse twenty-five. but thus says the Lord even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away and the prey of the terrible be delivered look at this for I will contend with him who contends with you I will save your children God says I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine all flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. But God says, I am going to save your children. Why do we have a soft spot, brethren, most of us, in our hearts for children? Because we're like God. Because God has a soft spot in His heart. For children God cares about orphans brethren there are millions of AIDS orphans today AIDS orphans in Africa in fact as a church we support over 30 of them in Kenya orphans that have distant family in the church kids growing up without parents because their parents died of AIDS How many orphans are we going to have? Come through the tribulation. We're going to need love and concern and being taken care of. Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54. Verse 13. Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord. Another millennial scripture. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. Great shall be the peace. This word in Hebrew means they shall be well. They shall be happy. They shall be friendly. They shall be in good health. Brethren, how badly do children in this world need peace, safety, I mentioned this magazine the other day, The Bernie Explorer. And in it, there's a picture of a little, little baby starving to death. And I won't tell you anymore because it's more graphic than that. Brethren, there are hundreds of thousands of children starving to death in the world today. I gave a sermon a few years back and mention something along the lines of, by the end of the sermon, over a thousand children will have starved to death. Let me read you something. One of our brethren gave me this. From the USA Today, September 29, U.S. troops stop. Well, I won't read you the title. Let me read you from the article. The U.S. presence in Afghanistan has led to significant improvements over life under the Taliban, including opening ways for millions of Afghan girls to go to school and work in jobs that were forbidden to women when fundamentalists ruled the nation. But what Afghans call baka bazi, or boy play, seems to be a terrible exception. While the U.S. military officially opposes sexual molestation of boys by powerful Afghan men, including police and military commanders, U.S. troops report that the unofficial policy has been to look the other way, or go through the motions of reporting abuse to Afghan authorities with the understanding that nothing will be done. A recent New York Times story told of an army's punishment of two Green Berets, that's ours, who tried to rein in abuse at a remote outpost shared by U.S. and Afghan forces in 2011. U.S. forces got reports that an Afghan local police commander they were working with had abused an 11-year-old boy, keeping him prisoner. When the boy's mother tried to intervene, the commander beat her. After checking with the village authorities to make sure the story was true, the two U.S. soldiers confronted the commander and confronted what he had done and laughed at them. He laughed at them, saying it was just a boy. Made in the image of God. (laughs) How would the God of ancient Israel have reacted? What do the statutes tell us? Enraged, these Green Berets repeatedly body slammed him to the ground and dumped him at the gate of the camp where he got up and ran away. Obviously, their reaction was not godly either. How did the U.S. commanders react? How would we have reacted 15 or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago? How did they react this time? They disciplined the two Americans. One left the service and the army is trying to force the other to retire. Isaiah fifty-four 13. Let's read it again. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. I jumped online this morning to check Yahoo News headlines. I've not seen a day like this in the news. It makes me wonder what is going on in heaven. There were more stories related to children and teenagers and terrible things going on than I have seen in the news all in one day today in the headlines. Great shall be the peace. Of your children. Brethren, what does this world look like to you? When the children will have peace. Zechariah 8, we've got to go to Zechariah 8. We can't not go to Zechariah 8 today because of the vision in Zechariah 8. This is awesome, brethren. This is the kingdom of God. This is what we will see when Christ returns. Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3 millennial vision God gives to us brethren how excited will you allow yourself to become over this vision we must be excited brethren about this vision we must Zechariah chapter 8 verse 3 thus says the Lord I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem yes Christ will return and he will be there verse continuing Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth the mountain of the Lord of hosts the holy mountain verse 4 thus says the Lord of hosts old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem each with a staff in his hand because of great age how many of you have a staff of or a staff of sorts in your hand today there are a number of you some of your staffs have wheels on them but there are staff nonetheless old men and old women sitting in the streets of Jerusalem what would happen if you did that today you'd either a be trampled because there's so many people in the city some of you've been there you can tell us the stories or b you'd be run over because of the traffic and you wouldn't want to sit in the streets anyway they're not clean Let's continue with the vision. Verse 5, The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Are the streets of Jerusalem going to be quiet? Not when children play. Children have fun and they make noise, don't they? This concept of be seen and not heard No, it's not going to be there. Not during play. Yes, there's a time to be silent. And there's a time to speak. We do need to teach our young ones that. Our children are doing great in here, by the way, today. But play? Run! Jump! Yell! Scream! Laugh! And what does God think about it? What does God think about it? Verse 6, thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of his people in these days, will it also be marvelous in my eyes? Says the Lord. What does God say about kids playing in the streets, running, jumping, playing, playing with the old men and the old women who are there, laughing, singing, shouting? God says, This is marvelous. It's marvelous. It's marvelous. Psalm 127. Psalm 127. Children matter, brethren. They matter here at the Feast of Tabernacles. We need them at the Feast of Tabernacles. Because we need to learn from them at the Feast of Tabernacles. And they will be part and parcel to the kingdom. We will, we just heard, we're going to be teachers and priests in the kingdom. Children will help us teach. We can use them to help teach the world about zeal, about joy. Psalm 127 And verse 3. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. A reward. We have rewards sitting in this room. They're a heritage from the Lord. We've got to go to Malachi 2. Malachi chapter 2 and we have to keep this in mind sometimes even as a parent it's very easy to forget this perspective we look at our little ones and we think of them as ours my child and we treat them as ours and we should on some level but we've got to remember Malachi 2 (coughs) Malachi 2 where did Malachi go? it was here this morning Malachi 2, verse 15. But he did not make them one. Did he not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? That is husband and wife. Why did God make husband and wife one? Continuing in verse 15, he seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit. Let no one deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. He's talking about divorce here. Don't do it. I hate it. But he says children... Not only are they a heritage or an inheritance from him, they're his offspring. Godly offspring, brethren, we create in the image of God. Yes, they look like us. But they look like someone else too, another father. They're his offspring. God wants a family, as you know, he's creating a family. These little ones are his first and foremost. We're raising His children for Him. And He's entrusted us with His kids. We've got to remember that as parents and grandparents. Yes, they're ours. He's blessed us with them for a time, but they're His. That's why He made them. That's why He gave us this capacity to reproduce in an amazing way for Him. Ezekiel 37. I think this is the last scripture. I'm running out of time. What? My clock speeds up when I get up here. For some of you it might slow down, I'm sorry. Ezekiel 37, verse 24. A millennial, actually this is post-millennial, this is at the beginning of the white throne judgment period here. Ezekiel 37 is dry bones. We'll talk about that on the last great day. This is the white throne judgment. The second resurrection. What do we see? Verse 24. David, my servant, shall be king over them. These are human beings, physical human beings. And they shall all have one shepherd. They shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Verse 25. Then they shall dwell in the land that I have given to Jacob, my servant, where your fathers dwelt. And they shall dwell there. They? Their children? and their children's children forever. They're going to dwell there. Families, generations. One last scripture. We'll go Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Another white throne judgment scripture here. Isaiah chapter 65. And this is important. There will be children in the kingdom of God during the millennium, the time pictured by this feast, we were children, children in the great White Throne Judgment period, the second resur- after the second resurrection. Children and grandchildren, as we just read. Isaiah 65, verse 20. This is a scripture that we get the potential duration of the White Throne Judgment period from, that hundred year, probably hundred year period. Verse 20 of Isaiah 65 No more shall an infant from there live but a few days nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old. Child in the millennium? God's going to resurrect children. God's going to resurrect children. Let me say that one more time. God will resurrect children and infants, brethren. And they'll die a hundred years old, just like the old man he resurrects who will live a hundred years. An opportunity to learn and grow and overcome and hopefully choose God's way of life as we're having the opportunity now. Brethren, God is producing godly offspring. A spiritual family that he will bring to himself. We are part of that. The first fruits of the process. We are a family that will help him build the kingdom on this earth and give it to the world after Christ's return. But brethren, godly offspring don't start out as adults, do they? As with everything, God starts small. His godly offspring start very small as infants. And they grow into children and young adults and adults. Children hold a special place in the heart of the Almighty. I hope you've been reminded of that today. God esteems them very highly. Brethren, I encourage you, look around while you're here. Continue to look around. This is why God invites children to the Feast of Tabernacles. The one who spoke and earth existed, the one who created hundreds of billions of stars in the universe, the one who created space, the one who created time. When he was on earth, he held out his arms and he held little children to his bosom. God loves children. God loves to hold children. And he gave us children to hold as well. He also calls all of us his little children. Brethren, let's deeply come to understand what Christ meant when he instructed that the kingdom of God is about little children and that we must become as little children to enter it. As full members of God's family, brethren, we are called to parent the world. We will have lots of children in the kingdom under our purview. Brethren, we need to redevelop our love and zeal as children have. We need to redevelop our inquisitive nature, their love for life, their thankfulness over the smallest things, their unwavering childlike faith. We must redevelop their unbridled zeal. Brethren, children are central to the kingdom of God as we've seen today by his design. Remember that, brethren. Learn from that. And I encourage you, work to become like a little child once again.